Hello and welcome to the We Call It Soccer podcast from the Football Grad Network, UUS North America Soccer Show. I'm your host Manu F and my co-host as always is Jack. Hey Jack, how's it going? How is how is it down in Miami? I'm Great. It's it's a little warm and I think things are a little grim as the NASL officially has folded, which we decided wasn't news. But yeah, I'm I'm great. Looking forward to this MLS season, which kicks off just this weekend. It's really snuck up on us. How how this is actually curious for me. Um, I mean, we all saw this coming. It's not a shocker, not a huge surprise. Although you know, last year the season was pretty much canceled and did a last minute comeback, didn't they? In 2017. Uh, but there is there is a big team in Miami, Miami FC. How how are you going to cope with this? Because there's big ownership, there's a case against going against MLS right now, the CES, um, about promotion and relegation. Um, how do you think that's going to continue? Yeah, I think I think a lot of that legal stuff still has to get worked out. But at least for the immediate future, it's really bad for the what was the second division in American soccer and Miami FC. They lost a, a lot of their players, like. I know we have in here later Stefano Pino going to Orlando City. He'll be a big help for them. But uh, I think, yeah, Miami FC 2, I believe, is playing in the NPSL. So mm-hmm. at least maybe some of those those younger players will develop in, in this area, at least until the Beckham's franchise eventually gets going. That was actually my next question for you, because do you <laughs> think that had an impact on what happened? Because, I mean, Beckham did announce finally a franchise in Miami. Not for next season, I believe it's in 2020, right? Um, do you, do you think that announcement had an impact on what we now saw in NESL? Uh, I'm not really sure if they how like closely tied those two things were, but uh, maybe just a coincidence. I don't know. I think that we've seen that some metro areas are big enough for two teams to support two teams, but without. Um, the ability to, th- I think, to move between divisions, it's really kind of tough, especially for someone uh, like Ricardo Silva, who's putting in that much money, offered MLS $4 billion for the TV rights, of course, contingent on promotion relegation being implemented. But uh, yeah, the, the league obviously declined that offer. Yeah, I still can't believe they did. I mean, when you look at the the growth, that's for me, it's just such a no brainer to, to have gone with a deal like that, because it's not just the, the deal in itself. It's the financial power that he brings as an owner, right? And as a person and as a personality. And I, I think to have that kind of system in, implemented and have such a healthy TV deal coming their way. Um, it's interesting that they didn't go for that, but I guess, um, they thought maybe they could make more money in, in a different matter, or maybe it's because of the, the deal that they made with David Beckham in Miami, right? They, that that was part of the signing fee to, to get that franchise, a franchise in, in North America. It wasn't specifically for Miami, but it was a franchise in MLS. And I guess when he chose Miami, that pretty much locked that market out for anyone else. So it's, it's a bit of a, a bit of a curious case in, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if like exclusivity would have been. Um, stipulated in that agreement, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's, it's kind of a crazy, crazy thing going on. But Miami wasn't the only team that's announced. Right? We got Nashville as well. So yeah, Nashville and yeah, we're still waiting to see how big MLS is going to get. Yeah. Ever growing, ever expanding. Um, well, that that kind of gets us to our next topic, ever-growing, expanding. Well, the opening weekend is this week. 
weekend. I'm very excited for it. I'll be heading to Vancouver. Um, little, you know, little sad though, Jack, because last year this the season started a lot earlier for me because Vancouver were actually in the CONCACAF Champions League, and this is a competition I personally enjoy quite a bit. I know it gets a lot of negative press, a lot of stick. Um, it it gets the especially the US based teams I feel don't seem to like it a lot. Um in Canada it has a lot has a bigger following maybe because teams in Canada seem to do better in the competition or take it more serious. Uh, remember Canadian teams don't qualify via Major League Soccer. They have to win a Canadian championship to get there. And um have done historically better than the US teams. Um and Montreal Impact went to the final both Toronto and Vancouver have been in the semifinal. Vancouver went to the semifinal last year, came close to making the final, uh, lost to Tigres, one of the big Mexican sides. And Toronto, of course, by many is seen as the team that could break the duck for Major League Soccer, right? And finally win that first um, CONCACAF Champions League title for MLS. Although, funnily enough, it would probably actually fall to the Canadian Championship, not to MLS. But, I mean... We've seen Toronto. They're pretty much through. They're playing the second leg today. They they played at minus thirteen. Some say minus seventeen degrees Celsius. That's you have to tell me what's that in Fahrenheit, Jack. But it wasn't easy, wasn't it? No, no, it, it wasn't easy. And I think going back to your point about how the Canadian teams treat it, I think it's a little bit how uh, maybe Premier League teams in England see the Europa League. You know, they see it as maybe a lesser competition where continental sides or even Scottish sides would see it as a more prestigious competition where they can make a mark and kind of not be in the shadow of of the Premier League or something. But yeah, uh, just 13 degrees Fahrenheit at kickoff. It was very cold. I didn't think there were, I thought it was going to be one of those games where maybe it was too cold for goals, but uh, Sebastian Giovinco had other ideas. <laughs> yeah, and he, yeah, he did. And Toronto won this game handily. And I guess it's pretty much safe to say, I mean, the second leg is pretty much as we were recording, um, but we assume that they're going to go through. Um, likely opponent will be Tigris, team that I know very well. Um, a lot of people are saying that should be the final in that competition because that's the upper tour champion from Liga MX playing against the MLS Cup, MLS Supporter Shield and Canadian champion. Um, you know, sort of the, the clash of giants in the quarterfinal, maybe a little bit too early, but I, I think if there is any team from MLS that could give the teams in Mexico are run for their money. It is this Toronto side, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's not just because they're a Canadian team that may take the competition a little more seriously, but because they're such a strong team. Yeah, I would say. I mean, and they added, they added a lot of good players in this transfer window, um, you know, to a side that was already quite strong. And they're, they're very public about this. They, they said before the season said, went on, look, the only way we can improve on the treble is by winning a quadruple. That is to win the CONCACAF Champions League, to, win, to retain the Supporters' Shield, to retain the MLS Cup, and to retain the Canadian Championship. So they're pretty serious about this, and they took this game in Colorado very serious. Um, I assume by the time this podcast will be out, they will be in the quarterfinal waiting for, for Tigres to we'll see what they're doing. So they're taking this very serious, and I, I'm personally very excited to see this Tigres-Toronto clash because I think... It's it's going to be a bit of a benchmark for Major League Soccer and see if they finally improve. Because Tigers, of course, those people listening to our Golazzo podcast know this, Tigers have aspirations to win their first international trophy. They have never won an international trophy. They're the biggest spender in Liga MX. They're a team that has attracted superstars like Gignac and Vargas. 
you know, a team that spends big money and has big aspirations. So, I mean, these are two sides outside of Europe that have big aspirations and are very open about this. So, I mean, if you have time to see this, I think when this tie comes around, it will be a fantastic one to watch, right? Yeah, and especially with the history between Liga MX sides and MLS sides in this competition, it's been dominated by the Mexican team. So, uh, despite the fact that Toronto FC is from Canada, they could really carry the carry the banner for MLS in this competition. Yeah. Do you see any other sides doing well on this? I mean, Seattle, maybe. I mean, they're really the only US-based club that I could see um, doing anything, but they didn't exactly look good in El Salvador on that first leg. No, they lost 2-1 and they lost Jordan Morris for the season to a torn ACL. So I think that that really impacts their depth and... The focus has got to be on MLS, even though they've, they've been in the final the last two years. That's where they want to be. So I think they, they're going to prioritize the league a little bit. Yeah. And then I mean, you look at some of the other sides from MLS, um, New York Red Bulls, FC Dallas, those are not exactly big hitters either. You know, these are teams that qualified because of their 2016 performance, not because of their 2017 performance, because the way the CONCACAF works, right, is... This is actually the latter stages of the competition. And yes, it says 2018 CONCACAF Champions League, but technically it's the 2017-18 season. They, they had pre-tournaments, the Caribbean Cup and the uh, Central American Championship that predetermined some of the teams that you see in this competition now. So this is actually uh, the second half of this competition. So teams qualified for this actually qualified through last season. So... You see teams like Dallas in there, um, and you kind of wonder, well, hey, wait, well, what are they doing in there? You know, because they didn't exactly, um, we're not exactly big hitters last season, right? Um, so, yeah, interesting. Uh, I think really the big hopes are resting on on Toronto's and maybe Seattle's shoulders on this competition for MLS. Yeah, but it is interesting, and you know, since the competition format is like that, it's not necessarily your last season, but two seasons ago that qualified you for this, and things have changed. So maybe they they will have a better squad than they did last year, and yeah. I don't know. It's it's interesting to see going forward. That's a fair. That's a fair assumption. We're going to talk about FC Dallas because they did something big in this off season, right? Um, want to maybe go through the power ranking first because we have a little bit of a power ranking going heading into the season. Um, how excited are you about the season kicking off? I think it's, I mean, for me personally, I, I, I can't wait. I love that first match of the season, seeing all the new players, the new, the new signings, the, the different clubs, um, new schedule, all that. It's always very exciting. But tell me, what, what are you looking forward to most um, going into the season? I mean, not to, not to spoil a topic we had later in the pod, but just all the South Americans that have joined the league, 21. Mm-hmm or excuse me, yeah, 25 South Americans joining and the average age being 21.7. So a lot of these really young guys coming into the league and the league getting younger and stronger, really. So I think just a higher level of competition and a higher quality of play on the pitch is really the the things that I'm excited to see. Yeah, same. We signed a kid from Valencia, uh, from um, Venezuela, not Valencia, (laughs) Uh, the country, not the team. (laughs) Um, Anthony Blondell, and I'm very excited to see him. He's only 23. He was the top scorer in that league and in a league that's actually ranked above MLS, um, by, by the statistic makers, um, leave that or take that. I, I personally find comparing leagues is a little bit like comparing egg, apples and eggs because they're also different, but he very promising signing. So um, I guess we'll get to him when we, when we talk about Vancouver and our power ranking, but now let's do the West first, shall we? Um, Seattle. 
Yeah, I kind of just threw this together, and, yeah. and I have Seattle at the top. Oh, yeah, I think that's a no-brainer, Jack. Before Jordan Morris got ruled out, but I think they're still yeah. the team to beat out there in the West. Oh, absolutely. That's I get to see them so much because, you know, we have a close rivalry with them, and Seattle isn't far from me. Um, it's, you know, traveling from Victoria. Um, it's pretty much as far away as Vancouver, and... It's their very good side. I think it'd be, it'd be difficult to see anyone else in, in the West, um, emerging, you know, and, and taking the top spot from them. Both Vancouver and Portland came close to that. Um, but I do think that even with Jordan Morris out, they are the side to beat in the West without a doubt. I mean, we just look at their squad. It's just, it's so deep and, you know, so many key players on that squad that, um, that can make the difference any day. And, and they added to it as well. Um, you know, bringing in players, um, someone like Ma- Magnus Wolf, Eric Rim, um, an interesting player for Malmo FF, a team that does very well, Norwegian central midfielder. Um, you know, only 27 years old. So, also, yeah, I mean, right? the, the West was, it was so close last year, just eight yeah. points between Portland and Seattle, who finished top on 53 points and Rail Salt mm-hmm. Lake, who were eighth with 45. So, the, I mean, it's it's really hard to separate the pack, but looking at the top Seattle, like those two runs to the to the championship game, and that's just going to benefit their players even more. Yeah, and you know, John Morris's injury, it's it's bad, but they have so much depth up front. When you when you look at this, the list of strikers that they have, there's a there's a lot of quality there for Seattle. So yes. It's it's a tragedy for for Jordan Morris. I would say tragedy in a World Cup year. Of course, the U.S. isn't there, so um, that could have made things even worse for him. But I think they're going to be all right. I think they're still going to be finishing first, second, um, pretty much guaranteed. So um, yeah, I- interesting. Um, I guess the team that is challenging the most, Cascadia rival, Portland, right? That's yeah. pretty much the team to beat for them. Yeah, yeah. Even with a new manager after Caleb Porter stepped away, Giovanni Severese from the New York Cosmos, um, a, a fixture in the NASL, great manager. And I think it's exciting to see how he's going to do uh, in the manager role now in, in MLS and to see what he can get out of these players. Because, yeah, as we mentioned, they finished top of the West last year with 53 points. Uh, they had the tiebreaker 15 wins compared to Seattle's 14. But um. Yeah, they they did fall apart in the playoffs. So we'll mm. see if if they can uh, overcome that. I guess this year. Interesting choice for manager. Um, you said New York Cosmos average points per game, one point seven nine over one hundred and forty games. He's a Venezuelan, uh, not a South American. It seems to be a theme for this pod, and um, <laughs> which is, I mean, this is something that we've seen so much, right? So many of the teams are going down that route that they're saying, look, well, well the, the way for us to grow as a competition is not necessarily to sign all these old guys from Europe, but is to um, bring in these players from South America, from Latin America, uh, Central America, players that are more more adapt maybe because like it is the case when you look at the Copa Libertadores, for example, right? There has a lot of traveling to do and a lot of things that you have to deal with, different climates, uh, different weather. I mean, the Concord Champions League was a great example. You had people, teams playing in Panama in the jungle, and then you had teams playing at altitude at minus 17 degrees Celsius 
13 degrees Fahrenheit. So, you know, these are, this, this is a big continent. And I think bringing these Latin Americans is probably better uh, in terms of having them adapt to this competition than any, anything else. And if you're already signing them, you might as well also bring in Latin American coaches to sort of stay with the culture, right? And bring in that flair. I think the MLS orienting itself that way is actually a very smart thing to do, to go say, look, look, we are, we are in the Americas, so we should play like we are in the Americas. I think that makes sense. Yeah, and certainly with the way that GAM and TAM are structured, it's been easier to uh, afford some of these players, I think. Mm. And yeah, there there has been some criticism, I guess, this offseason that the league is leaning more on these players rather than developing American players. But I think just bringing these guys in is is uh, a way to kind of bring up the overall level of play. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just counting. There's a lot of there's a lot of Latin Americans on Portland's side. Um, overall, they have 23 foreigners on the team. Period. But um, the the vast majority, a lot of Colombians, uh, Hondurans, uh, Argentines, Paraguayans. This is an this is going to be a team um, in hipster town, hipster town USA, playing some hipster color South American football, just like you know that maybe a little bit like Atlanta did last year. So I, I'm really curious to see them. I, I'm I'm very fortunate. I get to see them a lot because they're, it's another one of our close rivals up here in Vancouver. So curious to see them. Uh, very curious to see them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I think for them, we're just looking to see how they deal with um, the absence of Darlington Nagby because he was a big face for that franchise and now he's in Atlanta. Yeah. So should we call this, this next group of teams? Is that pretty much the hunting pack? I know you have them in order. Dallas, R- RSL, Sporting Kansas, Vancouver. Um, Vancouver finished third and was actually just one draw away from, you know, winning the lead, winning the West. Um, so this is a side that did very well last year, but I feel that, um, there is a hunting pack. Any of those three teams could challenge those top two teams and maybe finish first, but, or maybe miss the playoffs altogether. It's a, it's a little bit of a mix around, isn't it? And Dallas is a good example for that because Dallas is a team. We don't really know what we're going to get from them this year, right? No, no, exactly. And that's, I mean, I think that's a good way to put it as the, the pack chasing those top two in, in the Northwest because, yeah, we don't, we don't know where these teams are going to finish. Yeah. And I mean, Dallas, hmm, I'm not sure. It's, that's, I saw them a couple times last year and, um, followed them during their, progress through the CONCACAF Champions League and yeah I'm not not sure what to expect um they have a big news and we're going to touch on that later right but yeah I'm curious to see um how how are they going to do they finished just outside of the playoffs on goal no was it how does it work again it was no it's uh, the the wins tiebreaker tiebreaker was the wins right and San Jose yeah they got that point in Vancouver which cost Vancouver that first, uh, that one of the top two spots, um, yeah, which is unfortunate. So it was unfortunate for Vancouver because they had to then take that extra route and play San Jose again and then beat them up 5-0. But it's, yeah, it's, so Dallas missed out on the playoffs last year. And so it's, a, it's yeah, even, even though they had a goal difference of 21 better than San Jose, San Jose was minus 21. Dallas was at zero. Yeah. San Jose was an odd team to watch. Um, it's, when I saw them, I was thinking, it's like, how did they manage to get a 0-0 draw? 
I guess it's because Vancouver knew if they won that game, you know, they they would have clutched uh, that first place in the in the West, and um, that's usually when Vancouver teams seem to falter. It's not just <laughs> it's just not the Whitecaps; it's all of the Vancouver teams. There there seems to be something about the city that, when it comes to uh, making that final step to something, they usually they usually fall apart a little bit. Uh, it's not just the soccer team; the the NHL team has this disease as well. The the, the Canucks are. So um, it's it seems to be a bit of so maybe something in the water. <laughs> it's just a typical Vancouver thing because they had that Western Conference. Um, they, they the Whitecaps they were marching through that Western Conference in the second half of the season like there was no tomorrow. That team was working very well, and uh, I think if, if they had finished first, we'd, we'd be looking at a very different playoff scenario as well. But playing that extra game can be such a difference maker, right? Especially when you approach September, October, when it gets colder, um, the game in Seattle was um, a wipeout weather-wise, and uh, yeah, it's it's interesting how that that changes things. So um, yeah, Dallas mixed back. Um, you can say the same about Real Salt Lake, though, right? I mean, this is another team that's in the pack that you put in the pack there. So um, yeah, I think this is a team that's really being underrated by the odds makers of been looking at the odds to win mls cup and you see toronto at like four to one or something and then rail salt lakes at 40 or 50 to one and this is a team that in the last 15 games of last year they had eight wins four draws only three losses and plus 17 on the goal difference so but i mean before that their their goal difference was minus 25 so they they would try to really correct things they missed the playoffs by a, a point mm-hmm. or two and I don't know. It's it's a really young side. I think they have eight, a core of eight guys. I think that are under twenty three or something. So, under Mike Pecky, they're really really establishing themselves. And guys like Brooks Lennon and Justin Glad will really lead this team forward. Yeah, interesting signing in Brooks Lennon from from Liverpool, right? Yeah, but it, again, it might be just one year too soon for them. But mm-hmm. I think things are going to start happening in Salt Lake pretty soon. And Mike Petke is an interesting coach. Very interesting coach. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, after they after they changed coaches, it coaches, it went a lot better better for them last season. We saw them in Vancouver. We spoke to Joram Sizian at the time, um, who I think is still is a great player who can be a difference maker uh, on the night. But you know, um, I, the the thing is, they just didn't seem seem ready at, at the time. Um, and the, the Western Conference, so much also depends on how you play on the road, right? Um, every team seems to be so strong at home and then just so poorly on the road. So being in a, Vancouver actually had the best, um, record on the road of all Western Conference teams last season and it was still a losing record. So this is, this is how things are in the Western Conference and a lot of it depends on that, how, how you structure your, your road games. And yeah, I guess that's really, um, where we have to see how Real Salt Lake can cope with that. Uh, the next team that you have on there. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, just final point on that. It's like the travel schedule. The the West mm. is such a vast conference. Yeah. You know, the really long flights and, like you said, the different climates. You go yeah. from Vancouver to Texas, and then you're playing in California. So yeah, and it's then well, really changing atmosphere. Real Salt Lake. Uh, we remember last season Vancouver played in Real Salt Lake, and they were the game was snowed out, and then they flew straight to their Concacaf Champions League game. Uh, somewhere, I think it was in Trinidad and Tobago, right from there. So that, that's the kind of climate differences that we're talking about. It's, it's brutal. So this is why the Western Conference, the teams, 
they have an enormous travel schedule. This is, this is something that you can't really imagine. That's why you see the point differences are so close when you compare it to the East, where a lot of the teams are very close. That it, 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 losing on the road means that you're winning, your, you're, you're trying to win all your home games and then trying to get the best out of your road games because the travel is just enormous. And I mean, Sporting Kansas is the next great example because from Vancouver to Sporting Kansas is, again, it's a big travel distance. It's a different, completely different climate. You know, we're talking about Vancouver here. This is already spring months for us, right? Whereas when you go into the interior of the United States, even though you're traveling south, it actually gets colder. And um, so this is something in the, in the early months that teams have to deal with. And um, Sporting Kansas is a good choice, actually. I think also another one in the hunting pack. Not quite sure if they're going to end up where they're going to end up, but I saw them a few times last year as well. And I actually thought this is this is a fascinating team, um, a team that I enjoyed watching, actually, Jack. Yeah, and I think Peter Vermes is a really good coach. And, you know, they a couple of years ago, they were really in the hunt for the, the MLS Cup and mm. they, I think, what even won it a couple of years ago. But, mm. um, yeah, I think they would like to get back to those winning ways. And I'm not sure how, how much they really added in this offseason, but still you're going to have guys like Graham Zussi, Matt Beasler, who are solid in defense, and really that gives them the building blocks for a solid team. Yeah, and the infrastructure that they have in that stadium and that facility. Whew. Yeah, yeah, really good facilities. Yeah. The soccer-specific stadium that's just dug into the ground. It's a really cool mm-hmm. atmosphere. The fans are really loud there, great fans. So they, they have the support at home. But yeah, like we said, can they, can they win away? That's the, the question in the, the West. This is the big question. And then that gets us to the next team, the team that did finish um, third in the West. And it's maybe the dark horse to, you know, upset the, the top two teams in, in the West. And that's the Vancouver Whitecaps. Because they, guess what? They do travel well. For some odd reason, the way that they play, because they, I think in my opinion, it's the, the, the fact that they play counter football no matter what. The, the Whitecaps, they, they don't like to play possession football. They like to give the ball to the opposition and, um, playing that style at home and on the road that I guess that's something that favors you. Because if you are used to playing that style, Either way, it doesn't matter if you're traveling, right? Because you're already used to basically leaving the ball to the opposition and um, hitting them on the counterattacks. And if that's your style of football, week in and week out, no matter if you play on the road or at home, um, that's that's going to be something that benefits you. And I think, I just think, and this was something that I was debating in the offseason, um, at first I was thinking Fred losing Freddie Montero is such a, such a great player, you know, such a avid goal scorer, um, a difference maker on every night, Colombian national team player. I thought that would be a big loss, but then I saw what they brought in. And uh, because they play such a powerful style of football, you know, with the counter and using using fast players and uh, big bodies, uh, Freddie Montero almost seemed lost because he would hold on to the ball a little bit too long at times. And um, I'm really excited about this Anthony Blondell kit, Jack. He's... 23 years old, Venezuelan. He was the top scorer down there. He won the league in Venezuela with his former club, uh, Motagua. Uh, did really well. And it's just uh, bringing in such a young guy as a replacement. Someone who was just so fast. And I, I watched the scouting videos on him and I thought, wow, they, how did they pick this guy up? So I think, I think that they have actually upgraded on that position or maybe upgraded on the position because you never know how someone that age will adapt to a new league. But um, I think maybe he will suit the style that they play better. And if they can replicate what they did last season, 
and actually build on it, I think they could maybe finish in that top two. Um, just maybe. And question I have for you, Kai Kamara mm, seems to be a bit of a, you know, older player, but do you think he's going to fit that style? Yeah, I think so. And I think more importantly, he's going to be a mentor for Anthony Blundell going down the road. You know, he's 33, so 10 years older than him. He can kind of help shape him into a player. He, Kai Kamara knows MLS inside and out, so mm. he'll be able to teach him all the tricks and, you know, get it, help get him adjusted to this league. And I think it will be really positive going forward. Like you said, I don't know if it'll be an upgrade this year over Freddie Montero, but down the road, it, it should be for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and they have gotten younger. I mean, there is talk that they're going to trade Tim Parker to the to the west, uh, to the east, New York, um, Montreal Impact, and uh, I think New England is in the contention, and they're thinking of getting back over a million dollars in TAM and GAM, um, and then bring in another defender. Of course, they need to because Kendall Lawson is going to the World Cup with Costa Rica. And, uh, although they brought in Jose Yaaka from Orlando City, who I think is a really good defender, not a South American. The Whitecaps have a lot of South Americans in their side. Uh, Uruguayans and, um, Argentinians are usually the ones that they like to go for. And, um, he's another Uruguayan. He's the third Uruguayan in that squad. I think he, he's going to help them long term. He's only 24. He's a big lad too. But I think with that million dollars they're going to get, I think they're going to bring in another defender, which they have to, um, for the time when Watson is gone because he's such a big present on, on that field. So, but I think, I actually do think that Vancouver can be maybe one of those upsets. Um, if, if Kai Kamara and Anthony Blondell do what I think they can do. Um, but that gets I, us, yeah. Yeah. I do have a question though about the goalkeeping situation because David Usted is, has left. Um, so. I do, and I, I know this is not a popular opinion in Vancouver because Usted was such a fan favorite. I actually think Marinovic is an upgrade because Marinovic, um, he went to the German goalkeeping school and he can play football, which is such an important part of goalkeeping. And Usted, um, his distribution was a bit like a Kalashnikov. It was all over the place. So, <laughs> it, so, you know, you, you need that. If you want to play, quickly out of the bag you need a keeper who can play football right and Marinovic is a, is a New Zealand national team keeper he's I think he is I know again this is not a popular opinion but I actually do think he is a better keeper than Ustad and he's cheaper you know you, you can use that money for something different because Ustad wanted to become sign a really big contract and um, that now is of course off to DC United but I do actually think he's not great um, again not a popular opinion but that's just how I feel about it yeah, it'll be be interesting to see how he adjusts to playing on the turf at, at BC places. Yeah. Well, he did well on the end. He, he did actually push Usted out of the goal last season. Right? Um, he oh, worked. okay. No, sorry. I was confused. I thought he was a new signing. So. No, yeah, yeah. He was a new signing um, through the summer transfer. And then the, the first few months he was on the bench. But then towards the uh, later part of the season, he actually did push Usted. And then eventually took over the number one position. So I think, I think oh, they're going to be, be right. Fans. Yeah, I, I think so. I, and again, that was controversial because a lot of Whitecaps fans were upset about it. But honestly, uh, I don't often agree with the coaching staff, but I think they got this one down. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to let go of a popular player and get an upgrade if you want to improve the club, even though if you're pushing out a fan favorite, but it's not about necessarily if you like the not, it's about getting success, right? That's what sometimes fans um, forget, uh, but I personally think he's going to be an upgrade. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's just kind of hard to evaluate keepers yeah. when you have one who's been in the job for a long time, and then you yeah you have a new guy. But yeah, exactly. 
But what do you think of this next pack? Um, and I guess we can lump them kind of into that next pack. Houston, San Jose, LA Galaxy, LAFC. Teams that are good, good squads, interesting squads, but what do, what are we going to expect from them? Um, I, especially from the LA teams. I'm not sure. Um, they both, I mean, LA Galaxy had an off-season last year and LAFC, you wrote down 18 players and 30 board members. <laughs> yeah, that was that I was seeing circulating on Twitter this morning was they have 30 board members, but only 18 players on the roster. So, <laughs> I mean, a, a, it's a, kind of in the league, a lot of teams still have a lot of business to do, even though the season is starting in just a few days. Yeah. But isn't that always kind of how it is? I feel that you see a lot of business um, in the summer transfer window almost. Everyone is kind of trying to get, because the window closes in March and then opens again in July, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you you see sort of teams adjusting. Um, yeah, curious. I mean, LAFC, there's is some good players on that squad, but we don't know how they're going to do. Are they going to be the next Minnesota or are they going to be the next Atlanta? We don't really know, do we? No, no, we don't. And... Yeah, another thing I, I was seeing on Twitter was, is LAFC going to be a good team or a good expansion team? You know, there's, there's mm. different parameters to measure that. I think Atlanta was almost like a once, once in a generation type of start that they had. And, and you know, I, I, it's going to be really hard to match that for anyone. Yeah, I, I agree. And what do you make of that Los Angeles side? I mean, LA, huge disappointment, but this is a side that also has the two Dos Santos brothers. Right. Um, total offseason brought in Sigi Schmidt as the coach. They can only improve from what they did last year, right? Oh, yeah, most definitely. A finishing bottom of the yeah, league that's... level on points with DC United and the other in the Eastern Conference, but uh, only 32 points for them from 32 games or worse season in MLS. Sigi Schmidt is back for a second stint at the club. And I mean, they they have to go up. They're fighting now with LAFC for fans in that market i guess mm. if if there's some undecided fans out there or maybe some people just want a fresh start with lafc i guess because the galaxy have been just that bad so um yeah i don't know i th- i think they're it's just one of those one of those things where i i can't tell if it's just the board has made some bad decisions or they're just due to rebound finally mm. yeah it's it's a difficult transition too from being this team that had all the superstars to being a team that's now becoming a normal MLS team as the league is getting younger and younger, right? I mean, the LA Galaxy's um, average age is now 26.9. Still high-ish, but lower than it used to be. So I guess they're making a transition away from playing in a league of retired superstars to playing in a league where teams are looking at different parameters when they're signing players. And maybe that is the thing that hit the Galaxy the most. That all of a sudden teams all around them were saying, we don't need to sign this old guy from Europe. We're going to bring in these, these young guys from, from Latin America and we're going to develop players in our academy and we're going to play fast attacking football. And I guess, um, it's, I, I think that's what really happened to the LA Galaxy last season is that they just missed the boat in a sense last year. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And. It's kind of a start of a new era, I guess, with them sending Jesse's artists over to the Columbus crew for Ola Kamara. Um, I think that's, that's a move that will benefit mm. both teams. Just a, a first start for, for Jesse. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I really have no, no way to judge 
how the Galaxy will do, but they'll be hoping to start the season better than the last one ended, which was with a 5-1 loss to FC Dallas. Yeah, absolutely. Now the the, the other teams, um, Houston, um, that's always a team. I, I kind of like the way they play. You know, it's another very Latin American based team. Um, coach by Wilma Cabrera. Yeah, it's maybe one of those sides that could maybe a bit surprise. Um, always a playoff contention team, but is this a team that's going to go deep into the playoffs? Probably not, right? Yeah, they, I don't know. It's one of those teams that they could finish third or maybe they would yeah. finish eighth. So, um, and then we have the bottom pack, Colorado, Minnesota. Are we going to see them do anything exciting? I mean, Minnesota can only do better than what they did last year. Colorado has seen a little bit, of course, Stefan Eichner, um, one of, one of my Munich compatriots plays from on that side, didn't exactly, um, do well in that CONCACAF Champions League semifinal against Toronto. And I think it's going to be another rebuild year for them, right? Yeah, I think it has to be. And going back to Minnesota, they conceded 70 goals last year. So at least they'll be looking to improve in in that capacity. Well, the start was just atrocious. I remember, yeah. I remember we, um, we, when we chatted about that and it, uh, on an old podcast that I used to do, and we're just saying, well, well it can't get any worse. And um, yeah, it's I, I think... Minnesota can only do better than last year, but I can't see them being a, a contention side quite yet. Um, same with, with Colorado. I, I just don't see them there yet. Um, there is some interesting things happening, but it's just, I think they, when you look at what the, all the other teams in the West are doing and with the travel demands, you know, the only thing that maybe plays in their favor is that because of the crazy travel schedule, sometimes you see lopsided results and you see teams slipping into the top um into the top because they do well on the road but yeah well i guess we'll wait and see um wait and see i mean when they they went on that run a couple years ago that was out of nowhere as well and predicated upon having a really good defense so if they can keep things tight at the back you know tim howard's still there he's gonna be Mm -hmm. it's got to be one of his last years so he's gonna want to go out in a good way but yeah it might not be all all in his hands to be honest no um that brings us to the east and in my opinion, the team that's about to start a new dynasty in this league, I have a hard time seeing anyone but Toronto FC win the title, Jack. I mean, yes, it's playoffs in the final, anything can happen, but oh, you thought this team couldn't get any better. And then they went out and signed Aro, Fonderwheel, Aka Akeze. I mean, this side is just so deep. It's incredible. And um, they didn't lose any of the key players. Yeah, it's, it's hard to look beyond Toronto when it comes to any team winning the title this year, right? Yeah, and you know their their players getting a little bit older, like Josie Josie Altador, Michael Bradley, Sebastian Jovinko. That's not really going to work against them. They're still all relatively young, and like you said, adding these players some more depth uh, if they are going to try to compete for that Concacaf Champions League. I think that could be the only thing that lets them down mm-hmm. if they have to play too many games and injuries happen. But they're very talented and they have shown that they can win the Supporter Shield and win the MLS Cup playoffs that follow because that's really, in a playoff system, it's just been proven proven to be too difficult for a lot of teams trying to, to yeah. do that domestic double. Yeah, but I do think that is, I mean, if everything goes normal, I know it's football, 
bad things happen. You lose a playoff game. Uh, it can happen, right? But if anything goes normal, I think t- the title is at, is Toronto's to lose. Um, yeah, I mean, they scored twice as many goals as they allowed last year. Yeah, that's, inc- I mean, they had an incredible <laughs> year. Just incredible year. They're the only team that did not have uh, a poor goal against average. When you look at the around the league, most teams conceded um, over 40 goals, did they? Them and, um, yeah, them and the Seattle Sounders were the only teams that didn't, you know, and that's, that's especially in the playoffs is something that's key. And Kansas City, Kansas City only allowed 29. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Sorry. But, forgot supporting Kansas City. And yeah, but that's key, right? If you want to go deep in the playoffs, you, you can't concede goals. Uh, that's just, that's it's just such a key component for me. Um, but there is a team that I feel could challenge them and that's Atlanta. Um, Atlanta is, I mean, <laughs> Talking about a team that did well last year and actually managed to add to an already exciting squad. Uh, I guess it's going to be Baku watch every match day now. Um, that 18 year old sensation that they brought in. How in the world did MLS pull the stunt off to get this guy? Well, they had to break the MLS transfer record and spend $15 million. And that really could end up being a huge bargain for Atlanta uh, as well as for the league when he eventually gets sold on to. I don't know, a massive European side because this kid is very good and very talented. He's going to be able to show it, I think, as well in Tata Martina's system from the start. Um, from what I've been seeing, he's been getting better with every game. Mm-hmm. That's what the reports say, more integrated with his teammates. He doesn't do a lot of defending, but he's just so talented in the attacking phases and he's going to link that team together. And now with Darlington Nagby coming in too, more experienced head in that midfield because they have so many young players. But the, I think the question for them, losing Carlos Carmona in defensive midfield, is what's that going to do for their tactics? Or some people are saying, oh, maybe they'll have to try to be more defensive, but others will say maybe they should be more attacking, try to hold more of the ball, defend with possession, and it could lead to some comedy goals at the at the back, you could call it. But at the same time, uh, they could become even a more dominant team than the one that they had a plus 30 goal difference last year, just only behind Toronto. Well, if they want to really go crazy, they could move Almiron to that uh, number six position or number eight position, right, next to Gressel and uh, play Mbako behind a <laughs> non-natural striker. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe just go 5-0-5 or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, why not? Well, I'm curious to see. What they're gonna do, and then there's, um, and the, I mean that now they have Brad Guzan for a full season, so yeah, yeah, really experienced keeper. Yeah, I think that's that's a big one for them. But the East in general, lots of good teams. I mean the the, the hunting pack, I guess. Uh, New York City FC, um, and Chicago. New York City FC. Um, Patrick Vieira is their coach, big name head coach, um, huge personality. That's that's a side, you know, of course, city group um, ownership, Manchester City, uh, they will do everything in their power to, you know, win a title and, and grow because they want to eventually use the side to, to grow players for their for their academy system right back in Manchester. So I guess this this will be one of the big challenges uh, for Toronto as well. Yeah, I think so. And just looking at the East, I think it's going to be a, a lot tighter. It's going to mm. look more like the West did last year because we saw Toronto FC, they had 69 points. It was 12 ahead of New York City, who were second. Yeah. And, you know, and 24 points ahead of 
the New England Revolution, who were seventh. In the West, the gap was only seven points between missing the playoffs and <laughs> and leading the conference. So mm-hmm. I think things are going to tighten up a little bit at the East. Maybe we'll see Toronto and Atlanta kind of battle it out for the top spot, but right behind them, it's going to be going to be a close race. And I think New York City, Patrick Vieira really gets the most out of his players, and I think he connects with them well and motivates them. So another year, they don't have to worry about playing Andrea Pirlo because he now retired. Mm. And, you know, even if Jack Harrison is gone. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and of course, there's my man, Basti Schweinsteiger, uh, with Chicago. There was a lot of question marks on whether he's actually going to resign, right? And I guess the biggest transfer news to Chicago was that when he announced that he would. Um, but right after he signed, I said, and I wrote an article on footballsidage.com, um, now they need to give him the players so that he can do something, right? Because there was a little bit of lack of depth. Now they did bring in, uh, Alexander Katai from Alaves, uh, who I think is a good player. There's an article up from our survey specialists, um, on football Sidage as well. Um, I think, I think that's a good addition, but looking at the squad overall, I'm just not sure if it's enough to win Schweinsteiger and MLS Cup. I just think the East is too competitive. There's too many other good teams in that conference, Atlanta, New York City, Toronto, of course. I'm not sure Chicago has enough to dislodge them, and maybe that they will have to bring in someone else in the summer um, to strengthen that side, even just to make the playoffs, right? Yeah, maybe, but I think... If I think they're thinking that if they can sneak into the playoffs, then anything will be possible. And having Schweinsteiger for a full season compared to last year will be able to maybe get them a couple more points that they that they need there. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, Nikolic, if they can get him the supply, he scored 24 goals last year, all of them from inside the box. So you know what they're going to be doing. Uh, they traded David Akam to Philadelphia, and you know, got, that got them a little bit more money to, to work with. But like you said, they maybe are still looking to bring the right person in in the summer. Mm. But with, with Schweinsteiger and Dax in midfield, that's a pretty solid tandem. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I'm just not sure if that's quite enough. But we'll see. Basti wants this title. Um, he wants to do what Franz did, win a title in North America. So uh, he, yeah. is, he is someone who carries a team. He is a leader. So we'll see if he can do it. Um, definitely is good news for the league that he's back. I, I'm personally very excited about it. And there's some big news coming out of Chicago anyways. There's rumors that Bayern and Dortmund are going to play a game there. Dortmund and Bayern are traveling to the United States in general. There's, of course, Chicago are going to Munich to play um, a game against Bayern. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, how how is this testimonial yeah. going to impact the middle of their season? It's at the end of August. Yeah, it's at the end of August. So there's a lot of stuff going on, I think. Uh, and that's going to be curious. But it's great for MLS to have a team go to Munich at the full Allianz Arena and play Bayern. I think that's it's going to be an interesting experience for the side, but it's also going to be a possible distraction. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, you have Orlando on there next. And yeah, I don't know. I didn't know where, <laughs> again, I didn't know where to put a lot of these teams, yeah. but, um, I'm hearing some things about Orlando being maybe good and some things about them being maybe really bad. So I don't know. I kind of just chucked them in there behind Chicago because now Jason Christ can, can try to, uh, see what he can get out of this side. I think he's a really good coach, but, yeah. um, Absolutely. losing Kyle Aaron to Besiktas after that 
whole saga and Orlando was able to keep all the money from that transfer fee. So that was a kind of a, a strange step, I guess, by the league because that's not always been the case in the past. But they did spend some of the money. Uh, I think NASL top scorer Stefano Pino from Miami FC could make a big impact. He's, uh, he scored against them in the Open Cup last year. So maybe he's been on the radar for a while. But to start the season, they're going to be without Dom Dwyer, who's hurt, and Sasha Kleshin suspended. So um right from the get-go that it could i don't know they played dc united on saturday so there is a chance for points do you think that losing kaka as big of a personality as he was is that maybe a good thing that he's gone you know yeah i think so because i think that that was a big impact for the kyle lauren situation he was making mm -hmm. i was making about 50 times as much as lauren was yeah and That could, I think that could be bad in the dressing room. Yeah, sure, he's a huge personality, and there's a lot of Brazilians in Florida and in Orlando. Yeah. And yeah, that's going to get you some new fans. And But in the long term, how much is Kaká going to do for your team on the field? This is quite with a lot of depth. I mean, I see Dom Dwyer on there. Um, I see a lot of new signings <laughs> you know, from, from Latin America as well. Uh, Josua Coleman, you know, players... From all over the place. This is like a brand new site when you compare it. Uh, Lamine Sané, the, the defender for yeah, the yeah. who went on strike. He's on the site now too. Uh, I, I think a really mixed bag is definitely enough talent on there, but you gotta have this, these guys play together too. So yeah, I, I can see where you put, where you say you don't know where to put them. And I feel like that's the case really with all these other teams that you have next on the list. The crew, Red Bull, New York, the impact, the first team that Vancouver are playing, Philadelphia Union, DC United, uh, New York, New York, New England revolutionaries, a uh, revolution. Um, all these teams, they are very mixed backs. And with some of them, like the crew, we don't even know if they're going to be there next year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now I'm just thinking back to the, the question you asked me at the start of the pod of what are you so excited for? And it's just kind of the craziness and not knowing how anything's going to turn out. Do we see any of these teams maybe being a surprise team? Um, you know, maybe surprising a little bit. Like, I think we can kind of decount DC United out. 12 of the first ga 14 games played on the road. That's, that's a big impact. I think that's going to be very hard. And then they're going to have that excitement about the new stadium, right? That's usually you see teams falter a little bit under that and I'm not sure if that's if that's going to help them um, but do we see any of these other teams maybe surprising I mean Montreal Impact did go to the conference finals not last season but the season before and the crew did the same um, last season yeah yeah exactly with both the crew and the impact I think there's a lot of unknowns I think we can rule out the revolution although maybe Brad Friedel excuse me is a brilliant coach so maybe But we don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I just really don't know. And then the, the Philadelphia Union, um, I, I don't know. David Akam from Chicago, I think they've been in the league, what, for eight years? Mm. And I think there's been more promise than substance, but I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. We, we really don't know. I mean, this is, I, I think there is a funny thing about the Columbus crew and we saw a little bit of it. Um, during the playoffs last year, right? All of a sudden, because of the potential that the club could move, we don't actually know what the current status is. This is something that we debated. We don't actually know what's going to happen. Teams like that sometimes go on a run. 
right? Because it's us against the world. And we've seen it a little bit like that already. So this is something that could work in their favor, but it could also be something that's going to really hurt them um, because of the off-field talk. So I guess this is really something something to watch. Um, yeah, I'm really curious to see that. Uh, the the East, I, I, I see much more than in the West, I see like that pack of teams at, at the top. I can, I can say right now Toronto, Atlanta, New York City FC in Chicago will make the playoffs. I can say that right now and I would put money on it and I'm 100% sure they will, right? Which doesn't leave that many spots for the rest. Um, but then you talk about the rest and any of the teams that are in the rest could, could also make the playoffs. So it's, it's really a bit of a, everyone can do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a very open field. I think it will be interesting for Columbus. We'll see Jesse Zardes and Federico Higuain. Uh, they could, potentially have a pretty lethal combination there but yeah getting rid of Ola Kamara and Justin Miram that's going to be a, a shakeup for them in, in the attacking phase of the game so I guess we'll we'll kind of have to wait and see how that plays out yeah definitely so that and gets they're, yeah they're they're in action against Toronto that's the opening game on Ooh. on Saturday at w- it's at 1 Eastern it'll be 10 a.m. for you yeah. in Vancouver <laughs> I was I was laughing about that that's a uh, um Actually, that works out quite well. That's usually when I'm done with Bundesliga duty, so I'll just leave the TV <laughs> on. <laughs> um, it will be in TSN in Canada. And, um, I guess who carries it in the United States, Jack? Um, I think ESPN because, mm. yeah, all of those games, MLS Live is no longer a thing because I think ESPN Plus is getting the, all of the streaming rights, I guess, yeah. and it's not, ready yet so that's something that they're working on but i think you'll be able to watch all the the out-of-market games there as mm-hmm. it's espn and fox though okay that that have split rights okay yeah in canada will be on tsn tsn there's one two three four five i'm sure you'll find it on one of those channels um that's something to tune in same with the all the white caps games are on there too and same with montreal so if you if you're looking for those scattering that's the canadian ones uh, in the U.S., I think it's also split for local TV markets, so I'm not getting into that too much because there's too many TV stations for me to keep track of. Um, well, if you're if you're an LAFC fan, maybe you'll be buying YouTube TV, which is uh, the shirt sponsor as well as the local rights holder. <laughs> is this something we we're going to look forward to for the new season? I think we have better things to look forward to, right? Like <laughs> the 25 South Americans that joined the league. Now, that is something to look forward to. You have that on the list. That's incredible. The oldest is yeah, 27. Yeah. The average age is 21.7. What does that say about the league? That's Yeah, I think remarkable. that's a hugely, hugely positive statement from the league and from the teams, mm. not just trying to copy Atlanta, but trying to emulate it because it's something that works. And you mentioned Blondell. Yeah. He's one of the seven from Venezuela. And Kaku going to the Red Bulls from Hurricane is one of the seven players from Argentina. So those two countries lead the way, but that's just making up pretty much half of the the share of South American players joining. Venezuela is such an interesting market right now, Jack, because it's one of, you know, you remember how in the 80s and the 90s, Brazil and Argentina were like the the go-to markets for all these big teams in Europe, uh, or those medium-sized teams in Europe that tried to sign a player before anyone else could, Um, sort of discovering this raw gem, right? And now you can go and V-scout and you have every single Brazilian and Argentinian on your fingertip. You, you don't really discover players in that league anymore. Um, so, yeah, that's the problem is all the big sides have seen them first. Yeah, exactly. And, but Venezuela, I feel, and this is, this is something I read in, um, a scout, um, and wrote an article on this. Venezuela is the new Brazil because A, it's a country with a lot of political turmoil. 
right? But it's also a country that has a very competitive league at the moment. That's something that we almost forget. Um, I, I feel there's something similar going on with baseball right now as well in Venezuela, right? So these teams are all... Yeah, I think baseball is still the, the main sport of yeah, Venezuela as well. That's right. And so there's political turmoil. So the teams need money. And at the same time, they have these really talented players. So clubs um, from medium-sized leagues, they're now going in there trying to discover that gem that they then maybe can sell on. And I feel Anthony Blondell is, is a great example for this. But there's many, many more. Yeah, I think I think it's a league that we're only going to see more uh, heavily scouted going forward and producing more talent, both both for MLS, maybe at first, and then even bigger leagues because there are some really good players. They had a great run at the U20 World Cup um, this summer. We saw, um, yeah, who is it? Peñaranda. He's a really great player. He's not going to MLS, obviously, but uh, I think he's at Watford. But um, yeah, I think it's a it's a really good place for some MLS teams to try to establish those scouting networks because you can not only turn a, qu- a quick profit but get players who really could improve your team. Mm. Yeah, and it's a highly ranked league. So yeah, really something really to look forward to. There's, there's a few good articles on that. Um, you highlighted one from uh, Sports Illustrated, uh, the the South American youth player trend, right? Um, and I think there's uh, MLS soccer runs a running list on South Americans that are joining um, MLS in 2018. So, yeah, fantastic, fantastic sources out there on this. And I think this is a topic that we're going to obviously really closely follow as well because I personally, and I've, I've said this for a long time, the fabric of the league is in the Americas. This is a very different sort of football that is played than in Europe. And in order to do well and grow this game, you have to embrace that. You have to embrace the game that is played in Americas. And yes, we are on the same continent, believe it or not. And I think that these players just bring a better culture um, than some 32-year-old European, well, maybe with the exception of Schweinsteiger, he's awesome, so I'll, I'll leave him out of this. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this is just, every once in a while you can bring in someone like that. But I think if you really want to grow as a league, that's where you were, that's the market that you have to tap into. And I mean, we saw a crazy statistic uh, the other day, when we, we talked about TV rights on the Golazo podcast for Liga MX, there is now 32 million Mexicans living in, in the United States. And that's just as a fraction of the Latin American population. The, the Mexican population in the United States is supposed to grow to 70 million by 2032. You know, so the, the, it is, it is the market that has the future. So if you want to be successful in your own market, you have to address that market. And that market is, people who speak Spanish or Portuguese. So you Well not not even necessarily, but because we saw L Tree, they just launched English language yeah. social channels. So it's you know, there's these either first or second generation yeah. Mexican Americans who want coverage of the Mexican national team, but maybe they do want it in English. Some of them still obviously, as you said, they'll tune in for that Spanish content and we're yeah. seeing a lot more of that, although it's still an area I feel I'm not a Spanish speaker, but it's an area where a lot of teams are are lacking is in providing that oh. that kind of content to those fans because yeah. they don't just want to hear about a Liga MX team or if they have a La Liga team or maybe they follow Manchester United or someone, but you know they they want to hear about these players in the local teams mm. or in the MLS teams in this country. So yeah, it's it's just something that's really ever expanding, and I think we're we're not even at the tip of the iceberg yet. No, I agree. It's it's an interesting development. Um, Jack, we're almost out of time, but an interesting development that we need to address is Bayern and Dallas have signed a cooperation agreement. Um, who's going to benefit more from that, Bayern or Dallas? Or do you think this is the sort of thing that both teams could really benefit from? 
Yeah, I think it's something where FC Dallas will get some some name recognition. They'll get out there and they'll be able to have their players go to Munich and get some really expert training, even if it's for a limited time. And for Bayern, if an American can come out of that deal and join them, I think that's really a priceless arrangement. Yeah, I, I would go along with that. I mean, they did sign Tyler Booth, um, the, the young US kid. And there's a rumor going around that there's going to be another huge uh, U.S. talent joining a big club in, in Germany. Could be Bayern. Can, can't really disclose it yet, but uh, there is a rumor going around. So I think Bayern are really pushing for the U.S. market and as are Dortmund. So I wouldn't be surprised. Although Dortmund have a little bit of a trickier time signing a team, an agreement with an MLS side because it's Adidas, right? MLS is sponsored by Adidas. As is Bayern. Dortmund out yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky one. So it's really easy for Bayern to do this because Adidas has such a strong foot in the door when it comes to MLS, and Adidas is a minority owner of Bayern. So you know it's uh, it's a bit of a tricky one. But yeah, cool cool news story is the game is growing in in the United States. So um, sadly we're out of time, Jack. Um, anything that you want to pluck? Anything that's that's come up? What you're up to in general? And um, what are you looking? Which game are you looking forward to the most in this first match day? Yeah, I mean, besides Toronto against Columbus on Saturday, I think I'm really looking forward to seeing LAFC on Sunday against the Seattle Sounders and then even maybe seeing the Galaxy against Portland. That's the, the nightcap on Sunday. But, I mean, Sporting KC against New York City, that's that's going to be a good game as well. So, I mean, just just really excited for the season to get started. Yeah, same thing. Same thing. And where can people find you? On Twitter. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jack Grimsey. And yeah, one last thing, I guess the Scouted Football Handbook is coming out soon this week. So be uh, be on the lookout for that. Yeah, definitely be on the lookout for that because that's a cool project. I, I'm a big fan of it. Um, I am looking forward to covering the first Whitecaps game um, against Montreal. And uh, there will be some um, content coming your way, of course, on of the Football Ground Network, but also on Pro Soccer USA, which is a new page covering exclusively MLS. And um, I'm the Vancouver-based writer, so you know some of the content will come your way post-game. Um, and I'm very excited to do my first game coverage for them. Um, so yeah, that's prosoccerusa.com. And you can follow me at Manuel Weff. And you can find this content or any other content that we produce on the Football Ground Network at Football Ground Live. And guys, we're always very happy to take questions, feedback, um, things that we can improve, anything. We love to take it on board. Please reach out. You can reach out on his contact details on our homepages on footballguard.com, footballcidage.com, foosballstadt.com. His contact details on there. Or you can just send us a tweet. Um, always happy to receive them. Well, that's it, Jack. We're done. Till next time, eh? Yeah. Enjoy the start of the season. Yeah, definitely enjoy the start of the season. Okay, that's it. Cheers and bye-bye. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? 
Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.